It's great to have you here with us, and uh, we are just so thankful and excited to worship together today. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, if you're newer, I want to give you a special welcome. It is a great time to be jumping into H2O Church with all that we have gone on, and, and we say, way to go. Coming to a new church can be kind of a big step, and it can take a lot of courage. So uh, we're super thankful that you're here if you're newer, and uh, we would love to get connected with you sometime uh, throughout the week. We come grab one of our staff members or me afterwards. And I would love to talk to you. So we are launching a new series as we're starting uh, fall semester, uh, both on campus and the city schools. We are launching a new series where we are going to be spending the next eight or nine weeks going through the book of First Corinthians. And I'm really excited about that because I think that there's going to be so much in the book of First Corinthians that is so applicable to where we are at as a world and where we are at as a culture. And today I get to kick off the series, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Corinth, but before before we even do that, the specific text that we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it talks a lot about basically the, the difference between being wise and being smart. And, and it talks about what true wisdom is all about. And that got me thinking about the reality that, that we all we like to be known as someone who's kind of smart, right? Uh, we like to, to think that, that we're smart. If you're like me, uh, you like to hang out with smart people because they make you feel even smarter. And uh, I don't like to brag too much, but uh, I did graduate from BGSU with honors, okay? So um, I don't know if that's saying much or not, but I did do that. And some of you look really surprised. But I have to be honest, I'm not just bragging about that because if I'm really honest, my ACT score barely even got me into Bowling Green, okay? So I kind of have both sides of the coin uh, where I ended up doing pretty good in college, but my high school career was not, I was not exactly considered a scholar. But when I was here at BGSU, uh, one of my friends uh, that, that I ended up living with, his name was Ashley, he was like brilliant. He was one of these guys that was off the charts smart, and, and he was one of those guys that you just kind of felt smarter being around. And so it came time for him to graduate. It was our senior year, and uh, myself and Matt Olszewski, who's one of my best friends, he's a, our pastor at the H2O Toledo Church Plant, and Ashley were living together, and Ashley was doing things like smart people should be doing. He was applying for grad school, and he was applying for Ivy League grad schools, okay? Now, Matt Olszewski, my, my best man in my wedding, he had even worse ACT score than me, okay? And he didn't graduate with honors. Sorry, Matt. I just had to call you out on that, uh, but we thought, when, this, when Ashley goes to visit, like, Harvard and Yale, we should ride along with them. Like, that would be pretty cool. That might be our only way of actually being on an Ivy League campus. So we went out to Boston with him when he's doing his round of interviews at, this, at these Ivy League schools. And we had this idea that, like, you just walk onto Harvard's campus, if you've ever been there, and you feel smarter, you know, like you feel pretty cool. You feel pretty powerful. And so as we're walking around, we're like, man, we need to do something to like soak in this experience and cement it so that we can say we didn't just walk on the campus, but we were part of it. So Ashley had an interview and uh, we decided that we hadn't showered that day. We were staying with some friends. So we snuck into one of the residence halls at Harvard and we took showers in a residence hall at Harvard just so we could say we did it. And it's like one of those crowning moments of, of your intellectual career, at least for me it is, that I can say, I showered on campus at Harvard. You know, we joke about that, but especially being in a college town, right, there's questions that we're all asking, and we're drawn to this idea of being smart or being wise, but the question is, what is true wisdom? 
You know, what does it really look like to be a person that walks in real wisdom? Doesn't just know some facts, but walks in the true wisdom that God has for us. Well, Paul is going to answer that question for us here today as we open up the book of 1 Corinthians. So here's the big idea that we're going to explore and discover together today. It's this, following Jesus may seem foolish to some, but it's the only way to walk in true wisdom. Following Jesus may seem foolish to some, but it's the only way to walk in true wisdom. Let me give you some some background on the city of Corinth as we dive into this book for the next eight or nine weeks. We truly believe here at H2O, especially if you're newer, we want you to know this. We believe that the the Bible is God's word written to us. And we believe that it, it gives us all that we need for life and for godliness. And so that's why when we come here on Sundays, we open up the scriptures so that we can learn and grow from them. And so anytime you open up the scriptures, you want to have like some context and understanding of what you're about to read because the Bible is a beautiful book that has many different types of writings. And the book of 1 Corinthians is a letter that was written from this guy by the name of Paul to this church in the city of Corinth. Now just quickly, I'll do a quick brief background on on this guy Paul because some of us have heard of him but some of us haven't. Paul was a very religious Jewish person that actually hated Christianity early on in his life. His name was Saul at that point. And so much so that he would travel around and he would persecute Christians. He would have Christians put to death. And, and, and Saul has this encounter with Jesus at some point in his life where Jesus comes and like literally blinds him and knocks him off his horse. And, and Paul has this, this conversion experience where he went from somebody who hated Jesus and Christians to now somebody who is probably the most prolific missionary to ever live. He wrote much of the New Testament and the letter that, that we're going to be spending time in, the book of 1 Corinthians, is written by that very person, by Paul. You can read about his conversion in Acts chapter 9 if you want to get some background on all that's going on in this book. But as he changed his name, uh, Paul would start traveling around the Middle East, and he would start planting churches in different towns that made sense and that the gospel was received in. And as he was traveling around the Middle East, he finds himself in the city of Corinth, and there he starts to share the gospel with people, and eventually this church is planted. Now, the city of Corinth, maybe you've heard this before, but it's important for us to know because there is a lot going on in the city of Corinth. It was a very important city during that time. Uh, People would come there to do business. It was a big athletic town next to Athens where the Olympics started. Uh, It was the biggest athletic town in the Middle East during that time. They had this big coliseum and stadium, so people would come there to be entertained. They would come there to do business. It was a city that, that would oftentimes draw people from miles and miles away to come into. It was a place that you would go to to feel powerful, but Corinth, uh, Corinth was probably most importantly known, not just for the business or for the athletics, but it was most importantly known for this big temple that they had in the city of Corinth. And, and, and this temple that they had in the city of Corinth was, was dedicated to the goddess Aphrodite. And if you study any Greek mythology, you know that the goddess Aphrodite is, is the goddess uh, of love or the goddess of sexuality. And so you can imagine what would happen at this temple. People would come and they would engage in sexual acts as, as pagan acts of worship in this town. And so Corinth was not only known for business and for influence, but it was also known for just very loose 
immorality. Basically, anything goes in this city. You know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That phrase, it started in Corinth. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. That was kind of the mentality that people had as they went to Corinth. And yet, Paul says, I believe that the power of the gospel can change even a city like this. I believe that the power of Jesus can transform even a city like this. And so Paul stops in Corinth. He starts telling people about Jesus. A handful of people start following Jesus. Paul moves on to go plant other churches. And now this letter is written because Paul starts to hear some things that are happening in the church that he had once planted. And so he writes them this letter. Now some of the letter is like an encouragement, helping them say, hey, keep going in your faith. But there were some weird things that were going on in this little church in Corinth as well. And we're going to get to discover some of them as well. Sometimes we think that church problems only exist now. No, church problems existed from the very beginning. And Paul has to set the record straight on what some of the the ways that people should be thinking about themselves, the way that they should be thinking about their bodies and their sexuality, the way that they should be thinking about their walk with Jesus. And he goes through this, this list of both encouragement and challenges to the church in Corinth. So that's some background. I'm excited for the next eight or nine weeks. We're going to jump in in chapter one today. And uh, as we oftentimes do, we're going to stop three different times throughout this passage and pull out some things that I think that God would have for us. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter one. We'll be starting in verse 18, and we always say this, but the Bible's in the front of the pews. If you're newer and don't have a Bible or you need another one, you have a friend that needs one, feel free to grab those and take those home with you. They're our gift to you. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intellect. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of his age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to those who believe. I want to stop right there and unpack this. The first point is this. The cross defines wisdom. The cross of Jesus Christ defines what true wisdom is. Now, you have to understand, when Paul made this statement 2,000 years ago, this was an absurd statement. This was so countercultural that Paul would say that the cross is where true wisdom is found. Because for us nowadays, when we think of the cross, you know, oftentimes we think of our gold necklaces that we wear or our tattoos of crosses that we have on our arm or like the cool um, cross that you have hanging up in your apartment on your wall or in your house on your wall. Because the cross has been beautified because we know what Jesus did through the cross. 2,000 years ago, there was none of that. So picture what the cross actually would have signified. As Paul's writing about the power of the cross, people would have in their mind only an instrument of torture and death and pain. That was the only context that they had for the cross. The only purpose of the cross to the people that Paul was writing this letter to was for execution. And the worst type of execution, a painful one, one to try to embarrass the people who were killed there, to make them seem smaller, and to make sure that people knew, don't mess with the Roman Empire or you'll end up on a cross. And yet here, Paul starts talking about the beauty 
of the cross and the power of the cross. I mean, what an amazing transformation for us to wrestle with and think about. And it really has been said before, and it's so true that still to this day, the cross, it kind of splits the world in two. For those of us who understand Jesus and know what Jesus did on the cross for us, it is so beautiful. And it's worth hanging on our walls and getting tattooed on our arms and wearing around our neck because we know that it's not the actual cross. It's what Jesus did on the cross that truly has power to transform the world. But many people as well, as Paul says here, look at that, and I think, man, it's foolish. It's, it's kind of pathetic. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The Bible was written in Greek. Specifically, this letter was written in Greek. And so that word foolish there is moroni. Sounds pretty similar to our word where we get our word moron from. So Paul's saying many people look at us as Christians and say, they're morons. <laughs> they're following somebody who died the worst way possible. And yet he says, for those of us who've been changed by Jesus, we know that that's where real wisdom comes. There's a dividing point there. Maybe you heard this number of years ago, Ted Turner one of the richest men in the world, owns a lot of different media stations. He said that Christianity is for losers, right? And, and so there's still this concept that when people look at what the gospel requires of us, when we really live out our faith, it will cause us to be different. At least it should. And if we're really living for Jesus, people who may not understand the cross and may not understand Jesus very well might look at us and say, I don't know why they're living that way. I don't know why they're, they're sacrificing so much. I think of you college students who are here, right? And I remember I just became a Christian before I came to BGSU. And so I really tried, and by God's grace, I think I did for my whole college career live for Jesus while I was at BGSU. And I remember many of my friends in the residence hall being like, why are you not doing what we're doing <laughs> Why are you not going out in the way that we're going out? Why are you not pursuing relationships in the way that we're pursuing relationships? And the list goes on and on and on. And they probably said behind my back, he's a moron. <laughs> he's missing out on so many different opportunities. But what I can tell you is, man, the beauty of knowing Jesus and walking with other people that knew him, I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> I was the one that was having the amazing experience getting to experience what it is to walk with and know Jesus. Man, it is so powerful to know him, and it gives us real abundant life. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so all throughout Scripture, we're told what real wisdom is about is putting God in his proper place. And saying, God, yes, you are worth being revered. God, you love me so much that I need to honor you with the way that I live. 
And man, it is a powerful thing. Now, when Paul says here that the message of the cross is, is, is foolishness for those who are perishing, I want to make sure that we all understand that what Paul is not saying is that Christianity is only for people who aren't very smart. Paul's not, Paul's not giving this disclaimer that you have to like check any, any wisdom or anything that you know or, or any academic pursuits to the side to follow Jesus. No, because we know that many of the, the, the people that have added so much to our world, if you look throughout history, have actually been followers of Jesus. Okay, so Paul's not saying you have to be dumb to follow Jesus. He's just saying that when we truly follow Jesus, it might look foolish to some people because they haven't experienced the power of the cross. Simply saying, if we put our hope in facts and knowledge and and letters behind our name and not behind following Jesus, then we're going to be deeply disappointed. But there's beauty and there's knowledge in coming and experiencing the cross. Let's jump back in. Verse 22 says this. It says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ and him crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Second point is this, the power to change comes from the cross, not ourselves. The power to change comes from the cross, not ourselves. Isn't that a question that many of us are asking? Is it even possible to change? Like, what would it look like for my life to look different? What would it look like for me to leave behind some of the sins or the patterns in my life that I want to get rid of? What would it look like for me to be part of helping somebody else's life change and then move closer to Jesus? And one of the biggest misconceptions that we can have in our faith is where does that power to actually change come from? Paul is speaking with this church in Corinth. Remember why it's important we do some background Corinth was probably full of a city of people that were looking to be impressed. They were probably full of people that were looking for somebody to come and be this awesome orator, to share this amazing message, and they wanted to follow somebody. They wanted to be impressed. They wanted to look for somebody that could just wow them with the way that they talked. And Paul's saying, listen, you're not going to find it in a person. You're only going to find it in Jesus The God-man, yes, he was a person, but he was also fully God, and he proved it by going to the cross. And if you're looking to change, if you're looking to have abundant life, if you're looking to have eternal life, it's only found in him. You know, that's our prayer in our heart here at H2O. We pray that before almost every service. God, would, would the attention not be on our, our worship team or anything that happens behind the scenes or any pastor that stands up here and teaches, but it would, it, would it truly just be on you? and the cross, and the power of Jesus, because nothing else has the ability to truly transform. And in fact, that's why we have lots of different people come up here and teach on stage, because we don't want it to be about one man or one woman. We want it to be about the power of the cross and God's word, ability to transform our hearts and our minds. You see, humanity, human nature, we're so easily impressed by knowledge, but God's impressed by people who actually seek him. Human nature, we're so easily impressed and drawn to people that kind of puff themselves up. But you know what God's impressed by? Us being honest with our weaknesses and real with who we are. 
humans, oftentimes we're so impressed when people are just really polished and really well put together. But God is impressed when we're really raw and real about both our strengths and our weaknesses that are found in him. Because the reality is no human has the power to change people. No human can deliver another person from death. No human can give another person eternal life. Only Jesus, through the power of the cross, can. And that's why when we look to him, we experience the true joy that comes for living for him. Let's look at this last section. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God changed the, cho- chose the lowly things of this world to despise things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Jesus Christ, who has become for us the wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness and holiness and redemption. Therefore, it is, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, third and finally is this. The cross brings humility, not boasting. The cross brings humility, not boasting. I love how it says God chose the lowly things of this world. Uh, God chose the people that, that weren't so much impressive by the people of the world to be used by him to transform the world. You know, I think I shared this a number of years ago. I was uh, at a coffee shop, and there was a particular person that we were trying to help out here in town, and he was just struggling in life, in this season of life. He, he was struggling to, to even find a place to stay. He was struggling to, with food insecurity. And uh, he, he just found himself in a really hard season of life. And, and unfortunately, you know, when people get in those seasons, obviously as a church, we try to come alongside people and help people in those seasons. And so I, I was sitting down with him at a coffee shop, and he was just struggling. You know, wasn't put together, didn't, didn't smell right. You know, he's just in this hard spot in life. Maybe you got the chance to hang out with somebody who's been in a hard season of life. So we walked into this coffee shop, and uh, me and him go to sit down at this table, and then at a table like two tables over, there was, there was this table full of pretty influential people in our town. One of them was a lawyer. Uh, one of them was a businessman. I didn't know a couple other of them, and I walked by the table, and, and as I walked by them, I had this, honestly, this kind of wicked thought in my head. I thought, I would rather be at this table than at the table that I'm going to sit down with this guy at, and as I thought that thought, and I walked past that table, I remember in that moment, God just convicted my heart of this truth. God convicted my heart that I love the guy that you're about to sit down with just as much as that other table that's full of influential people. And I can use the guy that you're about to sit down with just as much as that other influential table. And I oftentimes go back to that memory in my mind and how God just kind of spoke to my heart and set me straight from my own pride and selfishness and reminded me that God cares about everybody. It's not that he can't use the people at the influential table, and maybe he will, maybe he is, but he loves just as much every single person In fact, oftentimes, he may use the people that we're least expecting to do something powerful in this world. 
And that has to be the heartbeat of each and every one of us. That has to be the heartbeat of our church. See, God's ways are often different than our ways. You think back to like recess, you know, when you're, you're picking kickball teams, you know, and, and it, uh, the, as you go around, you always start with like the most athletic kid and the one that's the fastest and the one that's going to give you the best chance to win. And then you work your way down from there. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't start with the most influential and the people that make the most sense. He has a plan and it's oftentimes different than ours, but man, it is so much better than ours. And oftentimes he'll use the lowly things of this world and the lowly people of this world to work and do powerful things for him. In fact, that's been the history of the church. Sometimes there's influential people that God used, but many times it's the people behind the scenes and we may never know their names, but man, they've had an influence and an impact and they're probably the reason why the church is here. It reminds us to be humble. Reminds us that nothing that we have, even the strengths, even the good things that we have, are of our own. And so I love this verse. If we're going to boast, let's not boast in ourselves. If we're going to brag about something, let's not brag about ourselves. Let's brag about the work of the Lord. You know, when we think about humility, humility is it's not like bashing ourselves down and thinking that we're terrible people. That's not what true humility is about. Humility isn't thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking more of God. So as you go through your life, how oftentimes can we take our eyes off of ourselves and put our eyes towards Jesus and draw the attention to him? And anything good in us, we reflect back to him. And any brokenness in us, we hand over to him. And we say, God, take and do with this what you will. Because you can take something broken and turn it into something beautiful. You can take something lowly and turn it into something amazing. You see, the beauty of the cross is that it transforms our world. The beauty of the cross is that it's confounding to so many people who don't understand it. Because Jesus loves and cares for each one of us. The beauty of the cross is even though I've sinned, even though you've sinned, even though you've fallen short, God still wants you. God still wants a relationship with you. And when you understand that, it transforms the way that you live. It transforms your life. So as we close here today, if you're somebody who, who's maybe been on the fence, maybe you're kind of just grasping the power of the cross for the first time, we want you to know that Jesus loves you deeply, that you can be someone who moves from not completely understanding it to somebody who's welcomed into God's family by turning from your sin, repenting and saying, God, I want to trust in you and the power of the cross and the beauty of your resurrection to live eternally with you. So if you're here and you want to make that decision, come talk to one of us afterwards. If you're here and you've already made it, let's commit to not boasting in ourselves but boasting in Jesus and what he's done for each and every one of us.